Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsok for another edition of Star Wars Right. The concept is pretty simple. Me and a guest, sometimes just me, we rank a topic in the Star Wars galaxy, and then you guys can join the conversation later via that wonderful creation of social media. I am here by myself today, again, second episode in a row. I apologize for that. I know a lot of times you guys uh, love hearing the guests 
whether it's a, a, stand, a standby and a regular like Joseph Scrimshaw, Jennifer Landa, or some of our other guests that have come through here. Uh, more guests are on the way, but sometimes life just uh, works out where it's me and a microphone talking to you about Star Wars, and I wanted to uh, really get into one today that is kind of just for me. I mean, and hopefully it's for you guys as well, but this is something you guys have heard me talk about a lot here, and I, I, I've kind of been sitting on this one because I didn't want to put a guest through this one. And not that they, I, I could find guests that would enjoy it for sure, but you know, just, just this one's for me. That's why today we're going to rank the best Imperial officers. That's right. You guys know I, for whatever reason, kind of uh, just love the Empire a little bit more. And these are weird times to say that. I know what that represents to a lot of people, but uh, I think it's true that the Empire has the cooler toys. And the Empire just kind of had my attention. I didn't know their true intentions. I'd be like Bodhi Rook, just get a job with the Empire. But I've always kind of been drawn to the Empire. And therefore, I am really always interested in their their internal politics, their battles, and the characters that make up this glorious, safe and secure Empire. And I love those Imperial officers. It really began with with someone who's going to be on the list here, but it began after Return of the Jedi and the Return of the Jedi novelization. It just, one of this one character, something about reading about this character got into uh, my young brain. I thought, this is something interesting. There's something to these guys. And then I just loved kind of the interchangeable nature of some of them. Uh, through the movie, especially the original trilogy. They're just these guys that are just there, and they got these green-gray outfits, uniforms on, and none of them seem to like Vader, and Vader doesn't really like them. And even as a kid, you're like, what is going on? Because for a moment, you kind of think Vader's in charge as a kid growing up. If you've seen you know, New Hope first, if you, if you get a chance to see that one first, you... Uh, you kind of think, well, you know, much like Princess Leia is leading, you know, the rebellion, her people. She's the princess. And you got Vader. You got the guy in the cape. Yeah, there's this old guy, Governor Tarkin. Governor sounds official, but everyone seems to be extra afraid of Vader. But as time goes on, you realize that wasn't the case. In fact, the answer is right there in front of you. Tarkin definitely has some rank over Vader. Vader, release him. Vader does. Huh. What's going on? So you dig in more and more, and it just kind of becomes this little almost fun subculture of the Star Wars fandom, Imperial Officers. So since it's something that just kind of is always near and dear to my heart, and a tradition that continues into the, the new trilogy, the sequel trilogy with First Order Officers, I, I like, <laughs> like Moden Kennedy huh? on, that, uh, on, on the Dreadnought Fulminatrix. I just, I like him. Mark Lewis Jones does a great job, but right away, I gotta like him. And I like PV. Hux is number two. I I just like him. And in the novel, there's a little bit more with the his name escapes me right now, because of course it would, because I'm talking and I'm recording. But the guy the guy who's actually uh running uh the supremacy, he gets he kind of gets bumped because Hux and his team show up. And I I like that too. There's always things going on. 
and no one likes Hux, and it's all this. And so it harkens back to the Empire as well. So without further ado, I'm going to dive into the list, and I will say this. Sometimes we uh, elect a choice into the Star Wars-ranked Hall of Fame, and I think it's fair to say that we are going to nominate uh, definitely one person and then therefore nominate and then approve and adduct, and that is Governor Willif Tarkin. He might be... Uh, the standard bearer, not just in story with rank, but just in general. That's what you want. An old, crusty villain who is dignified while these rapscallion rebels are rebelling around him. Uh, Peter Cushing brought something to that role, turned it into something, and there's uh, this cult of Tarkin almost that has sprung up around him. In story, he's a very important and vile character. Uh, the Tarkin Initiative, we know what that did. We know of Tarkin Towns and Tarkin Camps and how the oppression of the Empire, uh, many ways under the direction of Tarkin, because Palpatine's off doing a lot of other things. I'm going to go research some stuff in the unknown regions. I'm going to go to Jakku. I'm going to go to the world between worlds or try to get into it. Tarkin, here's the keys. Let me know how it goes. Oh, sure, the Empire uh, is is definitely under the influence and run by the Emperor, but I think Tarkin does have the keys to the castle. So he is a legendary character for a lot of those reasons. But as you, again, grow older as a fan and dig into more of Tarkin v. Vader, Tarkin versus Vader, the issue uh, was at 18 of the new uh, Darth Vader Lord of the Sith comic line, uh, which gets some spectacular stuff you got Tarkin hunting Vader and if you haven't read the story I'll let that one play out so their relationship is is tested and strained there and then you have the excellent Darth Vader annual number two written by Chuck Wendig and I just recently caught up that it's not entirely old it's 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 been out not too long so you can still catch up to these who I picked up that one that is some of the best stuff on Vader and including him returning to the Petronaki Arena on Geonosis, and a, and a great shot there by the artist uh, Kirk, his last name, who, who put this, this great shot of Vader just in the arena, reliving his old memories. But what I love about that uh, number two annual for the Vader comic is Tarkin's in there, Krennic's in there, you got Imperial security and loyalty officers in there, you got all this interplay, and Vader kind of in the middle of it, but above it, not maybe wanting to be in it, and kind of putting it all together where Tarkin and him have a confrontation. Vader's not happy about the Death Star. Well, why in A New Hope? You know, why is Vader not like the Death Star? He's part of the bad guys, but he's fighting. He's fighting with Moti. Well, I think this one really dives into it. Something we, we kind of played around with the Star Wars since, but this Star Wars annual number two for Darth Vader goes into it. It's so great. It's Tarkin confronting Vader on, oh, I know why you don't like the Death Star. That makes you not the only uh, danger and power in the galaxy and at the disposal and and use of, of Palpatine. You want to be the only one, Vader, but instead there's other things that we are creating, and we being Tarkin and his initiative. And the interplay with Krennic and everything, especially when you know what's uh, coming up uh, later. This is kind of the first time Krennic meets Vader. It's 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 really good stuff. And it 
And it, it, as I was reading, I was like, you know, I think I've got to rank these Imperial officers. So we will induct Tarkin into the Star Wars ranked Hall of Fame because I think he is in a class by himself. He can stand up to Vader. He can control Vader. He's got the entire Empire under his thumb at times. And Tarkin's an intriguing character, too, when you go back to some of the other stuff when he's with the Republic in the, the episodes where uh, Anakin goes and rescues him from the, the prison uh, in the Clone Wars cartoon or some of the, the best stuff there as well. Worth a rewatch. I know I'm about to rewatch him myself. So, Tarkin, congratulations, Will of Tarkin. You are in the Star Wars ranked Hall of Fame. But I want to get to my list starting with number five, General Cassio Tag. Oh, Cassio Tag. Kind of a sad story if you're a fan of Imperial Officers because he got some things right. He got some things right. If the Rebels have attained a complete technical readout of this battle station, it is possible, however unlikely, that they might find a weakness and exploit it. Vader returns to it, returns to him. Uh, the plans referred to will soon be back in our hands. That's an interesting line. Not only is he kind of standing up to Vader and reminding Vader that you failed on Scarif. The plans were stolen. Tag reminds him that, but he is also, now we kind of learn in retro, uh, retrospectively, I guess we should say we learned, Tag was more right than people cared to admit. And why Admiral Conan Antonio Moti sat there uh, high atop his confidence and arrogance that the Death Star would be the true terror in the galaxy. Tarkin was obsessed with it. It cost Krennic his life. Cassio tags over there saying, look, my fleet, my Imperial Navy is the only threat we need in the galaxy. Oh, the Death Star seems nice. And it could be, but we're putting a lot of eggs into this basket, just like we have a lot of eggs into this space wizard over here in a cape. Tag represented what a lot of people thought in the Imperial uh, uh, military, in the Imperial rankings of Vader. Modi thought it too. But I think Tag had a better respect, and unlike Conan Antonio Modi, Cassio Tag, a little smarter about it. And... I'm sure arrogant in his own way, uh, played it a lot different than the bombast of Moti and his Death Star. Later on, Darth Sidious would say this about Tag. Tag always argued against the arrogance of the Death Star as a sole weapon. He alone was properly wary of the Rebels' threat. Because of that, in the uh, first Vader comic line, that was released um, back, what, 2014, I believe it began, and started so strong. It got a little different and weird at times, but some of the, the great stuff is Tag. Uh, they needed someone to rival Vader, goes the behind-the-scenes story. So, uh, Kieran, uh, what's his name, who's writing that story? Kieran Cullen, um, Kieran Gillen, Cullen, I'm making up names, I'm just making up names. Kieran, Kieran Gillen, writing the Vader series back then, Wanted someone, uh, a military opponent within, within the Empire that could stand up to Vader. Piet wasn't yet in place, and I don't know if Piet ever really did stand up to Vader. And uh, we know Kendall Ozzel uh, might have stood up to Vader, but he's a bumbling fool. We needed someone who could really be a formidable opponent to Vader within the Imperial Army and Navy and beach troopers. So 
Pablo Hidalgo gives him Casio Tag after some research when he realizes we don't have proof that Tag died on the Death Star. In Legends, I believe it was stated that Tag did. would make sense. He's there. He's in the briefing room. So when it blows up, we don't know that there's Imperial Star Destroyers around. We don't really get that sense. If you're just watching A New Hope for the first time and the, the galaxy hasn't yet been expanded, Tag leaves. He disappears. He's not in the movie. Moti is. He's there at the end. Tarkin, we know, obviously, there at the end. Uh, other people, there at the end. Tag, not so much. So with this little wrinkle in uh, George Lucas's original story and uh, the way he shot and presented New Hope, let's save Tag. I love that Tag is then rescued, so to speak, and given command of Vader. The Emperor was upset with Vader. The Death Star is gone. You're in that trench. You can't take out the X-Wing. You were there on Scarif. We deployed you. You couldn't get the stolen data plans. You went searching for the stolen data plans after that and couldn't find them, Darth Vatar. So, to humble him, he put him underneath Tag. And Tag goes out and gets himself into some trouble, and it does end up costing him his life. Reaffirms Vader in the Emperor's eyes. This is uh, the, uh, the Emperor's other kind of apprentices. It's kind of that's some of the stuff that's not my favorite in the Star Wars line, but I love the the interpolitics here of the Imperial brass, the leadership, and I think Tag is on this list because he is so vocal and not going along with things. And I just I love that. I love that in leadership. I love that in myself. I love that in people who would work for me. Let's find solutions. Let's think of uh, outside the box. Let's think of all the things that might come our way. And you have a lot of bootlickers, a lot of bootlickers sitting around that table. There's one who I don't think is, but he doesn't say much. Uh, who isn't, I should say, but he, he doesn't say much. And and uh, Tag is there. I loved it. I loved it. So for that, for that moment, and I guess we should say for his sideburns, I think... Cassio Tag, Doc Henderson is the actor that plays him, uh, deserves some credit for having some of the most classic Star Wars sideburns. He's got those burns. This is definitely a movie shot in the mid-70s. And I love how they have to kind of sync everything back to that look in new Star Wars. I even love it when Kylo Ren takes off his mask and he's got a 70s feathered hairdo. He looks like a Cassidy up there. I love that. And I think that's in large part because of Tag. He looks like he just walked off the streets of uh, Hollywood in the mid-70s onto a set to uh, shoot a Star Wars picture. And I think he deserves some credit for that. So my number five to start my own list is General Casio Tag. Which brings us to my number four. I mentioned him. Not by name, but he is there on the Death Star. And we do know in canon that that is where he perishes. He has a long storied history. One that saw him at times at odds with not just Darth Vader, but Anakin Skywalker. A man who noticed right away the strengths and skills of Grand Admiral Thrawn. He had a long career that ended shortly, or ended abruptly, I should say. It is Colonel Wolf Ularin. 
That's right. Wolf Ularen. You gotta like Wolf, him of the Imperial Security Bureau. He appears in A New Hope. We know that. He is there at the table. He is there sitting around the Death Star briefing room in A New Hope while Moti and um, Tag and others are arguing. He is uh, there in his white Imperial Security Bureau uniform, and he is uh, very much a part of the Clone Wars. That's right. Very much a part of the Clone Wars. And then, of course, appears in Star Wars Rebels. Wolfie Lauren was just a bit player. Uh, just a, a bunch of old, crusty leaders of this empire that Vader, uh, Vader, that Lucas put around a table. And this is why I love Star Wars. You can take a little snippet of a character, just a picture, just a flash on the screen, and you can be turned into an entire career. Wolf Ularen was part of the, the Republic. He's in the Clone Wars. He doesn't necessarily dislike Anakin Skywalker, but they have a rough beginning to their friendship, to their working relationship. Uh, he is very prominent uh, throughout the Clone Wars, the series, and in the story. And then uh, he is part of a lot of battles and everything, and then the switch happens. The switch happens. And uh, he slides right in, much like, say, uh, Korsh Panaka, Captain Panaka from Naboo, who just kind of slid on into the Empire, helped by Palpatine, an old friend, if you will. Uh, He uh, he, he joins the Empire. He slides on in. He puts on that new uniform and switches to the Imperial Security Bureau. Not so much anymore will he be piloting and captaining Star Destroyers. He will be uh, policing their own. And that's where he, of course, syncs up with Thrawn. You learn from me as an Imperial officer that is, I've, I've grown. My fascination for him has grown because I'll admit this. I didn't catch the connection when I first saw the Clone Wars. This Ularan guy just seemed like a, a creation for the Clone Wars. I didn't see, I didn't know the connection. Also, yeah, back then, I mean, back then, it wasn't too long ago. We just crossed the 10-year anniversary of the Clone Wars. But 2008, 2009, we weren't thinking of everything being synced up. We weren't thinking of new canon, new legends, any of that kind of stuff, or old legends and new canon. We weren't thinking of it. We just kind of enjoyed the show. At least that's me. So a couple of years into Clone Wars, I realized, oh, Wolf Yularen is he's, he's a dude from A New Hope. I was always aware of the guy from New Hope. He's got a very distinct look, kind of sitting there uh, in his stark white while everyone else is in the green-gray. I love that there. And then he comes back in Rebels and gets really involved with Thrawn and Governor Arenda Price. And in the Thrawn novel, you learn really, 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 really uh, starts to work with Thrawn and realizing, uh, while others maybe are writing off this alien from another world, you learn is there. And that is why I think he's on this list. He was a survivor. He was smart, whether or not he agreed with him or not. I don't know if he, you know, when he makes the switch to the Republic to the to the Empire, I don't know if it's a philosophical difference or just a job opportunity. I don't know. But he remains 
obviously pretty loyal to the Empire and the Emperor to the very end. And he is part of the uh, their security bureau who spends most of the time looking inward. Most of the time talking to the people, uh, you know, causing problems who already have an imperial insignia on them. And it's also fascinating. Yularen's become more and more fascinating to me because of this idea that we talk about, you've heard me mention before, that Count Dooku, as Yoda would say, was kind of the first rebel. He didn't intend to be, and he definitely left the Jedi Order and becomes a Sith Lord, so I wouldn't consider Dooku a good guy. I don't think his intentions were good, but there's some things about him when you kind of look closely at the character and connect it to Qui-Gon, connected to Quinlan Voss and some of the other Jedi who were on the edge, even Obi-Wan at times. Dooku had some good ideas, or maybe not so much good ideas, or just kind of that, ooh, looking down the pipeline, I don't like the direction of the Republic, and I don't think the Jedi Order's got it down. And not saying Dooku was proven right, but there's something to what he was saying. So when it, with that in mind, and the Separatists are kind of fighting the Republic, soon to be the Empire, does that make the Separatists rebels? Even Padme questions it. You ever think we're on the wrong side? Fascinating stuff. Luke is asking us big questions in these kitty pictures, right? So Yularen's part of that for me. Panaka's an interesting case, too, and he didn't make this list. Yeah, I think there's, uh, we love him as kind of this prequel character, Phantom Menace only, really, and uh, he doesn't show up. Captain Typho replaces him, and then they got to find a reason. And so I always knew in Legends uh, that uh, he had joined the Empire. He, he, he was on a Star Destroyer, and then, well, that kind of went away, and I was wondering if they're going to keep that going, but they do, a new canon. They absolutely do, in the Leia Princess of Alderaan book. She has to return to the Nubu system to a nearby planet, uh, one of the moons uh, where she runs into the local governor. She has to go seek him out. And it is Panaka. It's one of the great scenes in Star Wars lore, I believe, where Panaka recognizes Leia. So Panaka's an interesting story because he's a good guy. He fought with, fought with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Padme. He was there. What makes him switch? Well, he worked closely with Palpatine. And if things aren't going right and suddenly your friend starts a new company, and you're at your current job, and things are looking kind of dark, and you're out there on this beautiful planet just trying to get by, and your old friend comes by and says, hey, I got something for you. How would you like a cushy governor position out here on your uh, home uh, systems, uh, your home planet here? I understand where uh, Panaka could switch sides, but Yularen is another interesting case for me. The hows and whys of someone so steeped in uh, the Republic's way of thinking and, and, and part of it and fought so hard suddenly switches and joins up. And not only that, goes internal. Does that mean he had any thought to bring it down from within? I don't think he was a covert agent for what was left of the Republic by any means, but that's always fascinated me about Yularen as Yularen's grown for me as a character. He does die in the Death Star, that we know. Uh, looking here on Wikipedia, Aiden Versio does say to Gideon Ask, some of the Empire's top people were on that station, Grand Moff Tarkin, Colonel Yularen, so many good men and women. Hey, 
Even some in the Empire had hearts. So that is why my number four is Colonel Ularen, the man who switched sides. Why and how? And how did he last so long? My number three on the list of best Imperial officers is Admiral Firmus Piet. I love Piet. He's just a good bloke doing his job with a bad boss. I think we've all been there. Captain Piet, we know this. Don't fail me again, Admiral. We all got to see Piet get get promoted. He had to work for, for Kendall Ozzel, and Kendall Ozzel may be one of the worst Imperial officers. We often try to be positive here on Star Wars Rank, but it might be fun to sometimes reverse it and maybe do a worst list with Imperial officers. I would put Ozzel on that list. I would put some others on the list as well, but Ozzel takes the lead, which is why I love Piet so much. He was a strategist. He was smart. He was insightful. And for whatever reasons, Vader did trust him. You know, there's a, you know, uh, there's got to be some history with Ozzel. This isn't the first time, and we've seen some of it in new canon. Vader was just, uh, you know, I killed Tag. Now I got you. What do I got to do? And Palpatine does does say to Vader very early on in his transition to Darth Vader from the former Anakin Skywalker, you can't just go around killing all of my officers, Darth. I got to, you know, I got to run an empire here. I need some staff. That's early on in the second Vader comic. Um, but when you, you're surrounded by Egypts, like Kendall Ozzel, Vader, Vader have a lot of options. So long comes Piet. Long comes Piet. And Vader recognizes, I've got a, I've got a critical thinker here. I've got maybe someone who isn't as bombastic. And that's the one thing I will say about Firmus Piet that I've always been drawn to him. About this idea that he seems, especially for the Empire, a humble character. A man just doing his job and doing it well, it just so happens to be uh, his job is stuffing out a rebellion. Our good guys, our heroes. He's crisp and clean. He's smart. He's quiet. Especially you got Kendall Ozzel, just bah, 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 bah. You got Conan Antonio Mothi, who'd probably be on my list as worst as well. As well. Uh, sitting there uh, yelling at Vader. Even Tag is kind of yelling back. He's very arrogant. I think Tag is more proud about his fleet and wants, doesn't want that pushed aside from the Death Star. There's some of that under undercurrents in what Tag's doing. But here's Piet, just a captain, just doing his job, the horrible boss in front of him, and now he's been promoted. There is a lot of thinking if you analyze the Battle of Empire, uh, Battle of Empire, Battle of Endor, that when the uh, executor went down and Piet was killed by Arvel Krynid's A-Wing, that the battle really did turn. That that was the point where the rebellion uh, got their edge and felt, felt that they could get their edge. Um, one, of those, one of those moments, yeah, I think that's why Akbar sighs so heavily. <sighs> we did that. We got that. We might have a chance. With the executor down and good leadership down, the emperor, we know, is all tied up 
He's got some drama on the throne room. And then the emperor, he feels like, hey, he doesn't have to worry about it. I've got other people in place. But Piet is out there. He's out there doing the job, leading the naval forces, trying to do his best, trying to not fail Vader again. And I, uh, I, I got to respect that character. There's something about his face. There's something about his face where Moden Kennedy's death on the Fulminatrix is, is great because it's just so like, uh, of course, this is how it would end. Piet, as he sees Krynid's A-wing comes in, it just it's his panic. And it's almost like there's a great shot of just his face, just like, uh, I can't believe this is happening to me. I finally got the job I wanted. So I've always, always, always had a little bit of sympathy for Piet, which again, we're talking about sympathy for the devil here, sympathy for the empire, but Piet has got it. I think he was respected by many inside the empire, and if you earn Vader's respect, and keep it. It was interesting because we've seen Vader at A New Hope. He, he, he's choking Moti. He's, he's tossing Antilles against the wall. He's violent. He's not afraid to, to kill even people on his own team. We, we kind of get that feeling. And then Empire shows up, and he's doing the same thing again, knocking uh, Ozla out of the way. So it kind of gave you this idea, if you're watching the original trilogy in the first run here, thinking like, these guys are just expendable to Vader. Now, I, I do believe that's the case for the character, and that's why Palpatine told him not to not to run through everybody. But that means to me even more props go to Piet for surviving, for uh, not going the way of Ozl or Captain Lorth Nida. I think Piet deserves something for sticking around, which is why he is my number three which brings me to my number two of the best of the Imperial officers. Same era. He's got a cult following around him. It is General Maximilian Veers. Oh, General Veers. What a guy. Oh, it's not just because, uh, you know, he goes on to be in uh, Last Crusade and Game of Thrones, played by Julian Glover. I think there's uh, some kind of cult around just the actor behind this uh, character. But uh, I really do think General Veers is the best tactician and uh, deserves a lot of credit for some of the success of the Empire. General, prepare your troops for a surface attack. While Ozzel is bumbling around, Veers has some loyalty by rank. Uh, he felt surprised was what? He's as clumsy as he is stupid. Uh, I, I think you uh, can look at Veers and just see the cold, tactical heart of the Empire on full display. He clearly has a legacy because, well, we see... Uh, in, even in The Last Jedi, that the First Order and their walkers use the Veers formation. He gets down there on the field, not afraid, and that was, was always interesting because you, you never got a sense with the other Imperial officers, even though they have the gear. We see Arinda Price do it, and we know she can get herself, a, get herself in and out of a fistfight if she needs to. She had some, some combat skills, but 
Veers is the only one. You don't, you're not going to see at the time, you wouldn't think you'd see Tarkin, Yular, and Tag, Moti, all of them. They're, they're the upper, cr- upper crust. They're the leaders. They're the officers. But here's General Maximilian Veers. Gear on, down on the field of action, in a walker. And look, we saw some walkers go, so he could have gone. He could have been the one uh, that Luke took down with a grenade or that uh, Jansen and Wedge took down with a tow cable. But no, Veers, he's in there. And there's something good about a leader who will take a shot and stand next to you and lead you in the battle. It's very old school. It's almost medieval, right? Uh, this concept, we, we don't even have it now. And I get it. The leaders want to stay behind and lead and plan. But it's very medieval, right? Robert Baratheon's going to ride into battle. King Arthur's going to ride into battle. General Veers is going to ride into battle, except for his horse is a giant Adat Walker. Uh, Veers doesn't show up and much other canon. And I know there's an, uh, uh, there is a uh, Twitter handle you can follow that's about Mears. Um, and you, uh, you want more of him. Uh, he's mentioned in places like Battlefront 2. He is in uh, the issue 50 of the Star Wars comic. He appears in holograms in Star Wars Commander. He's mentioned in Twilight Company, the novel. Uh, he is in Lego Star Wars Droid Tales, in Galaxy of Heroes, but those are non-canon appearances. But for someone so respected, that's far too little appearances. And I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it in the comics, because that's where, like, you've heard me talk a lot about what goes on in the comics about Imperial officers. There's, there's a, they go a few layers deep. And I'd, I, I'm surprised we haven't got more Veers. I hope we will. What happens to Veers? In old legends, we know of his of his end. Um, but uh, you know what what happens in new canon? He's still going strong. Maybe he's Snoke. That's I think that's more likely than other theories. So. I don't have much to say about Veers because there's not a lot to pull from. We need more Veers. But with such a small little role in the Star Wars saga, General Veers has made his mark. He has absolutely made his mark. Target maximum firepower. That's Veers in a nutshell. Not a lot of bombast, not a lot of flowery words, no big speeches. He's definitely not General Hux on Starkiller Base. He's not Tag or even Moti. He's not even Tarkin. He's just simple and direct. Target maximum firepower. Veers gets results. Listed as a cool and efficient officer. Uh, I love they describe him here as always very sure of himself when talking to Vader, but tread, learn to tread lightly. And I think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, it's, it's something about Veers when he, he doesn't, doesn't interrupt Vader while he's meditating, you know, uh, just kind of wants to, I'll, I'll stick, I'll stand here until you're ready to talk to me, Lord Vader. And I think that's, that's something about it. He knows how to play it. 
That's that bombast. He knows how to play it. So my number two on this list, General Maximilian Veers, which brings me to my number one on the list of best Imperial officers. Oh, I don't know why. He's always been my favorite. And that is Moff Tion Gerard, The man who ran the second Death Star. The man who, for whatever reason, uh, when I read his story and read his kind of internal monologue in the Return of the Jedi novel, I was drawn to. I think it was because a little bit of the fact that I, you know, like a lot of us, again, repeating this again, but like you kind of, you just kind of felt that Vader was always in charge. You didn't know of the ranks. You didn't know of what, 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 what Tarkin really was, what the Emperor was and where he came from. This, this all came later. But if you're watching and reading Star Wars in the mid-'80s, you're looking around at all these guys scurrying, scurrying about and all answering to Vader and then eventually the Emperor. But Jared Gerard in the novel has this great speech. He's going down and it's this internal monologue. Uh, going down to meet Vader. And he's nervous. And he's got the appropriate amount of respect and intimidation for Vader. But he, he reminds himself that great men never hurry. Great men cause others to hurry. So he doesn't hurry down to see Lord Vader. Moff Gerard believes he is where he is supposed to be. He worked hard to get up to where he is. He worked very hard. He is not necessarily a uh, military man. He is, he is, but he, he came from an engineering background. That's the Ger Gerard story. And he, much like Krennic, who was uh, an architect, uh, the empire was built on all these different kind of minds. And so Ger Gerard steps into the second Death Star, and it does run behind schedule, but let's not forget, it's taken only a couple years to build this Death Star versus the 19 and all the problems of the first Death Star. Now, hey, someone has to go first. Someone has to learn how to harvest and find the kyber crystals and then harness them even more to turn them into the power that fuels the Death Star. I can't blame Krennic for that. I can't blame even Tarkin for that. That's just the way it was. But Jer Gerard steps in and he gets things going. And yes... He soon gets in trouble. He finds himself with a demerit on his permanent record when Lord Vader, the schoolmarms of schoolmarms, shows up to slap him on the wrist and scare him back into uh, being on time, being scheduled. Jer Gerard stood tall and stood as proud as he could against Lord Vader. And in reading that internal monologue in that novel it just pulled me in it made me look at these imperial officers in a different light back then and i think that's where it started my obsession with these imperial officers the good the bad and the ugly sideburns i love them i think there's something humorous about them i think there's something interesting about all of them and i love that they over time have developed even more personalities and traits and stories uh, even, you know, I'll even look at some of the legend stuff, too, for that. But back in the day, oh, back in the day, it wasn't Maximilian Veers. It wasn't Tion Ger Gerard. It was just 
Jer Gerard, a name listed in the credits. General Veers, prepare your men for a surface attack. That's all we knew. Kendall Ozzel, we just knew Admiral Ozzel was as clumsy as he is stupid. Captain Piet wasn't firmest to us. These were just ranks and last names, and that's all the thought you maybe were supposed to put into it. But as the Star Wars story unfolds, you start getting full names and stories and canon and legends and wherever you want to take these stories from, they all start to have some meat on the Imperial officer's bones. And that was the first time for me reading it. Great men never hurry. Great men cause others to hurry. Ger Gerard had a philosophy. He had a philosophy. And I do believe he had a heart. In the, the deleted, not even just deleted scenes, but the deleted storyline in Return of the Jedi is that Jer Gerard was supposed to turn the Death Star on his own troops. And the Emperor had that in place, and he was supposed to do it. But he didn't want to. He didn't want to do it. I don't think it necessarily should have made the movie. It would have been maybe an odd uh, little side story that wasn't, wasn't truly needed. But I love looking at some of the deleted scenes. You can find them. Find them online. There's a lot of stuff with Jer Gerard. There's the deleted scene where Jer Gerard even stands up to Vader, gets choked by him, and then just felt Lucas Lucas felt, ah, we're doing this again. We've used the choke beat too much. He's gonna choke Royal Guards, he's choking Gerard. Nah, let's just cut it all. And I understand that too as well. But I love that 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 Jer Gerard even it's not only just he think, hey, great men never hurry, and I'm not gonna hurry to get to Darth Vader. He thinks I, I can. I have rank over this guy. I'm a moff. Palpatine doesn't even want to see him, and I'm going to tell him. And I love that he stands up to Vader. It doesn't go well, but it's deleted scene, so I don't even know if that happens now. But I love, I love that about Jared Gerard. He is just a good project manager. Piet is out there leading, leading the, uh, leading the war, leading the navy, leading the army. But the technological terror, the second one that they're trying to construct. It falls on Jer Gerard's shoulders. And he's just trying to get the job done. And his bosses all are all over him, but they're not giving him the budget and the supplies. I've been there. Cut your hours, lay off employees, but we want your uh, output to be better. We want your stats to go down. But we're going to take away the, the uh, hours, the employment employee hours to make that happen. I've been there. I've been there. I think we all have been Moff Jer Gerard, which is why he, he's number one on my list, and we have to pay our respects, as we have done on Spotlight Star Wars before, to Moff Jer Gerard. So that is my list of Imperial officers. One of the reasons I felt this one I wanted to do by myself is that, ah, you know, there was, uh, there's not a lot to choose from. There's other names. Uh, and where's Thrawn, you might ask? Eh, he might be on your list. He's not necessarily on mine. I don't know how loyal he is to the Empire. Arinda Price is another one. We saw a lot of them in Rebels. Uh, we saw some real bad ones. We're making a list of bad ones. You go to Scarif, I think there's some uh, bad ones there, too. Out there for a little beach time. Got caught with the pants down. Krennic is close to being on my list. Almost on my list. Yularen kind of is the one that nudged him out for me. Yularen, just there's something, he's more in control. He's got a longer career. He's got better results. But there's something I really like about Krennic, especially if we're talking about middle management. I feel for Krennic. I feel for him in the end. I get a little bit of Krennic 
in Catalyst. And in Catalyst, Krennic is at times almost like Hans Landa from Intoler- uh, you know, uh, from uh, Inglorious Bastards. So Krennic plays a little different in Rogue One, and that might be a little bit why he's not on my list. He's a little more bumbling than I first thought the character was supposed to be. So this is my list. What are yours? I want to know. Reach out on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and use the hashtag Star Wars Ranked. Let us know. Let us know what you think about these ones here. We got some guests coming up soon on Star Wars Ranked, I promise. In the meantime, you can go to forcecenterpod.podomatic.net for the podcast and other things on there as well. You can go over to our YouTube channel. We're putting things on there more and more. More things going on there. We got the in-memoriam videos. Um, uh, Kevin puts those together over at uh, KOTR underscore Trilogy on Twitter and Instagram. That's right, Knights of the Old Republic Trilogy. Uh, Look him up. He puts those together uh, with me there, and he does all the heavy lifting. I just say the words that I uh, had already said before. That's on our YouTube channel. You can check out that there. And go to Patreon at patreon.com slash Force Center if you want to support us. We just hit one of our goals, which was the last Jedi movie commentary. Our patrons have got it first. And then uh, there'll be uh, a public release of it, especially over on YouTube. But if you want to get all the movie commentaries and our uh, monthly bonus show, Finish the Fan Fiction, head on over to patreon.com slash Force Center. So... That is it for now. For all the Imperial officers just trying to make their way in the galaxy, but they have some bosses above them fighting it out. We'll see you next time. Star Wars has been ranked. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.